How's that? Better. Karen went and got her glasses changed this past week. And uh, so I, she handed them in, and then she said, hey, you want me to clean yours too? So I said, sure. I gave her my glasses. This is what I like Wednesday, maybe Thursday. But I gave her my glasses, and then she's looking at it. She goes, oh, they got some chips in them. Let me see if they're on warranty. And she looks, and she says, oh, they're on warranty. You want us to send them away to get fixed? And I said, sure. And then Thursday night or Friday morning, I go, and I start, want to start working on it. saying, Karen, where are my glasses? And the Costco sent them away, and I didn't have any glasses. So then I grabbed these ones. And these ones are like three prescriptions before those ones. And so I figured I put them on, and I thought, oh, it looks like there's water between me and everything else. And then my, my eyes adjusted, and I thought I could see with them. And then, uh, you know, they say that if you can, you can put, um, get glasses that have everything upside down, and you put them on, and your eyes will adjust and turn everything right side up, take them off and everything's upside down until your eyes adjust. These things were just making me think I was seeing because I was trying to read as I was trying to go through this message and stuff like that and I'm struggling and stumbling and I'm thinking I can't see these words but I thought I could see these words but I was always sort of coming up with the wrong words and then it dawned on me, I thought, I'll bet you it's these glasses and I put on these readers and everything was clear. It was like I could see again. And it's, uh, it's amazing what our minds can do because, you know, like I was thinking I was seeing clearly, but I wasn't seeing clearly. So that's the reason for my readers. But this morning, Father, we just commit this message to you. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that enlightens us to hear what your Spirit is saying. Lord, as your word goes forth, it accomplishes. It says that it doesn't go in vain, and it accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish. And so we thank you, Father, that you have something to say to all of us, Father God, in the places that we are in our lives. And so we just yield ourselves to you, and we pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding so that we can hear what it is your Spirit is saying to each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Pastor Andrew Brunson, a Christian pastor from North Carolina, spent 20 years in Turkey, and he ministered there until 2016. And when a failed military coup uh, of the government was, uh, had arrested him, because of a failed military coup, the government arrested him along with journalists, activists, military officers, and others. And the Turkish government labeled Brunson a spy. Brunson was held... Uh, Brunson was held for more than two years, or one year without any charges. And he spent nearly two years in prison, often enduring long interrogations. Once, um, at one point, he, it looked like he could spend years and even decades behind Turkish prisons. Finally, after the pressure from uh, President Trump's administration, he was released from prison and returned to the United States. In a Wheaton College chapel time, Brunson said that when he was in prison, he never felt the presence of God. He said, but he did experience something incredibly deep. After just a few days in prison, I was completely, had completely lost a sense of God's presence. God was silent and he remained silent for two long years. If you, were, if you have walked this Christian walk for any length of time at all, you know that this takes place in the believer's life where God seems to become silent to us. Why does God do this? 
Why does he seem so silent at the times when we feel like we need to hear from him the most? James, he tells us that it's because he's deepening us. Jesus uh, is helping us to get to know him as Savior. He's getting to know, helping us to get to know his ways. He's helping us to learn that he's in control and that he's working a plan in our lives and that he's, has, he's making substance to our faith. In the book of James says, when he's writing to a dispersed people, people that were fleeing for their lives, families running for persecution, uh, people of the dispersion, he says, when our faith is being tested like this, it's producing steadfastness. And we're all to allow steadfastness to have its full effect that we, are, may, that we may be perfect and lack nothing. After what seemed like it may never come, Brian Brunson's uh, trial, uh, Brunson's finally brought to trial. Brunson says that he was looking so forward to this trial and had such anticipation and such hope, but he couldn't believe it because things got even worse. And he says, I was broken. There were moments when I lay there in my, uh, in my solitary cell, and he said, I had great fear. He says, terrible grief, and I wept, and I wept. The thought kept going through my mind, where are you, God? Why are you so far away? And as he was weeping, he says that he was surprised at what began to come out of his mouth. He heard, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And here is my victory. Even if you are silent, Lord, I love you. Even if you let my enemies harm me, I love you. When we're leaning on our own understanding, we can sometimes feel like life is so unfair. In our human understanding, we say, you are God, Father. You can do something about this. If you wanted to, you could just snap your fingers and you could make this all go away. If you really cared, Lord, you could just take it away and make everything good. It's like you don't care, Lord. And so... What's happening here is when we're thinking like this, we're leaning on our own understanding. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Or it says, nothing like your thoughts. New Living Translation. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And we have a great example in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus is rebuking Peter for thinking like this. It says that then Jesus began to tell them, the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the law. And he would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him saying, for saying such things. Jesus turned and he looked at his disciples and then he reprimanded Peter and he said, Get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. We've got to keep the scriptures in our forefront of our minds and our understanding and in our discernment as we're walking out this life as God's people. You know, Proverbs 16.25, we all know it, and it says there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. So what is happening here in Brunson's life is that this outward part of his life, it's like the shell of who he is, is cracked and the life of the Spirit has begun to sprout. 
And it's like Pastor Brunson has been born again, again. Here is my victory, he says. Romans chapter 8 says that this is life in the spirit. Pastor Brunson no longer was leaning on his own understanding, but he was trusting in the Lord with all of his heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says that when you search for me, God says when you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Everything you've got, seek the Lord. He says you will find me. That's quite a promise. That's a creator of our universe. We will find him. As Brunson's crying out, I love you, Jesus, he says, this is where my victory lies. It no longer mattered what they would do to his flesh. His life was now hidden with Christ. His life was now hidden in Christ. He was in the sweet spot of this Christian life. And at this time, Pastor Brunson was living the life that God knew he would be living before God created the foundations of the world, or before God thought of the foundations of the world. He thought of Pastor Brunson, and he thought of this moment. And I'm sure there were those who were shaking their heads at, about Brunson being in Turkey in the first place. You know, maybe unsaved relatives just thinking, you know, he shouldn't have been there in the first place. Maybe some family members. Maybe even some church members thinking, you know, I don't know why he's even there. But it was Pastor Brunson's conviction that God wanted him to be pastoring in Turkey in the time he was there. Hebrews chapter 11, we see many men and women who lived out this great conviction in their lives. And they're great examples to help us to see this life of faith being lived out. It recounts the stories of the, of, uh, the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from death. Like, wow, that's a lot of action happening there. And these are great stories and so encouraging for us when we read them. Scriptures go on to say, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and, some, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. Some went about wearing uh, skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains and hiding in caves and holes in the ground. They were doing what they believed was God's will for their lives. They were doing what God had designed them to do, all of them. Some suffered while others enjoyed these great exploits. And all these were commended for living their conviction and doing what they believed that God's will was for their life. They were commended for the faith that they lived. Pastor Brunson was suffering in prison and he was experiencing this season in his life. He felt that he was there because God had sent him to Turkey to pastor. There's another hero of the faith that's not in this list in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And he is a man of, he's a, he's a real hero of faith. And that's the Apostle Paul. 
We're going to start just right at the beginning of his life when he's out trying to catch. He's the one that maybe these people from James, in the book of James, James is writing about the dispersed church. He's the one out there pursuing them, trying to catch them. And it says that meanwhile, Saul was uh, uttering threats with every breath and eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. He was after them with a vengeance. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and he heard this voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Something that's always intrigued me in this part of the scripture is that Jesus is talking to him right here. Why didn't he tell him what he was going to do? They're having a conversation. But he didn't do that. Instead, he sent him to the city, and he said that he would be told. He'd have to wait there, and he would be told what he would do. And God works like this. His Spirit, His Holy Spirit living within each one of us. You know, as we go on to read the story and you see the precision that God was, that Jesus was speaking to Ananias and to Saul in Saul's prayers, it's amazing. And God can't speak like this. And, you know, the problem is we get thinking, God, God's speaking to me like this. And if we're right once, then we take off and get into all kinds of trouble. But this is when we need each other as a body, many members. Wisdom is found in the multitude of counselors. Goes on to say that he remained there blind for three days. He did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. He called, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, where you'll find there, or when you get there, ask for the man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias. That's precision. I have showed him that a man named Ananias is coming and laying hands on him so that he can see again. There's a real confirmation of what he's going to be doing for the rest of his life. And now Ananias was hesitant, and rightfully so. He didn't want to, he wasn't sure about this vision that he was having, and, and he sort of resists a little bit. He says, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about this terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he has authorized the leading priest, to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and before the people of Israel. And I don't know if God didn't confirm what he was about to do with Saul's life in such a clear way. You know, I don't know that Paul could have carried through his whole missionary journey uh, on the earth and the things that he did. There were a couple of times where angels came and ministered to him to encourage him to keep going, keep going. And uh, we see in Acts, uh, the next verse here, it says, And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And suffer he did. So then years go by. And we're going to pick up the story 22 years later. After Paul had been out and he'd been ministering all over the place and many establishing many churches and having much persecution going on and suffering in his life, 22 years later, he's coming to the end of his third missionary journey. 
And he's wanting to get back to Jerusalem for the time for the Feast of the Passover. And on his way, he's riding on this cargo ship. And so this cargo ship is stopping at ports along the way, different places. And so one of those three of the places that we stop at here, and it says, when we land at Miletus, we sent a message to the elders in the church of Ephesus, asking them to come and meet us. Paul always looked for the believers. He always wanted to encourage the believers. And then Paul's telling them he's a number of things and blessing them and ta- probably talking about all the experiences he's had in his journeys. And then he says, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except the Holy Spirit tells me in the city and the jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. God has assigned us to tell others about this wonderful grace of God. What a hope that people need around us. You know, they, it's our call to tell people of this good news. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, their next stop was Tyre in Syria, and the ship was going to unload its cargo. And while they were there, they found the believers. And this is interesting. It says that the believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go down to Jerusalem. And then after their conversation, they returned to the ship where they knelt down and we prayed together, and then they said their farewells. And their next stop was Caesarea. And as they stopped there, this prophet named Agabus, or a man named Agabus, who had the gift of prophecy, he arrives from Judah, and he came over to Paul. He took Paul's belt. He bound his own feet and hands with it. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, this is Luke, is the author of the book of Acts and Luke. And so when we heard this, Luke is saying, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and we said, the Lord's will be done. Today, we as a church, and as the church, or world around, we need to be so careful when we're discerning what God's will is for another person. We see believers doing things that maybe, you know, uh, they're moved in their spirit to do, and to us, maybe it doesn't seem quite right. There's just something not right about it. But yet to them, it's a conviction that they have that this is what God is requiring of them. These people who were trying to convince Paul you know, not to go to Jerusalem. They were very sincere. They loved Paul. And they didn't want him to go to Jerusalem because the chances of him suffering greatly and even potentially dying was great. The physical body that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is such a perfect analogy of who we are, what we are. The body of Christ. There's one body. One body in there, but there's yet in this body there's so many different parts. We're all individuals belonging to one body, then this body has one head, and that's Jesus Christ, our Savior. We need to be asking for wisdom when we're going to be uh, judging other people for what they're doing. And uh, when they have such a strong conviction and they're really going against the grain and maybe we think it could be done just a little easier, a little differently, I'm sure that's what they were thinking with the Apostle Paul going down to, to Jerusalem. 
And uh, like this story, when, it's, when it was clear that they couldn't persuade Paul, it says that they gave up and they said, the Lord's will be done. They didn't abandon Paul because they couldn't persuade him not to do what didn't make sense to them. You know, I was talking to one of our young people here and, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was asking them, you know, we were, well, I'll give you a little disclaimer on this person, this young person, and this is not an exaggeration, this young person is uh, really quite incredible in their spiritual walk and their, the sol- solidness of their life. They're strong in their faith, they stand tall among their peers, and they have a strong conviction, and they have a very consistent, they're very consistent, and they're a great example to everyone that knows them. They have quite a, a quiet disposition about them. They're thinker, they're intelligent, and they reason the wisdom of God well. And for a young person, it's just amazing how well they do these things. And as you know, we're not all like that. And we're not all have a quiet disposition. Some of us are a little more vocal than, than have being quiet. You know? and, but yet, the world needs the vocal and the world needs the quiet. The world needs us all, and there's such a variety of us out there. We were talking about, I was quizzing them out about Christians in the school and the sharing of the gospel. Does anything like that take place in the schools? And the comment was made that the reason that the kids in the schools didn't like Christian kids because they didn't like them being told that what they were doing was wrong or that they had to make a choice. They didn't, it was like they just, they just didn't want to hear the truth. And uh, this, I got an impression that this individual just sort of would shrink back a bit about that. And I encouraged them. I said, you know, these, I said, these kids are not like you, and that's okay. You're like you are. They're like they are. But they're still your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I was so encouraged to hear that the Word of God was being proclaimed in our schools by these young people who had a conviction that this is what God was calling them to do. This is who they were. Regardless if it was a popular thing to do or not, they were doing it. And I was excited about that. I thought, praise God for these young people that are willing to stand up in school and do this. So I challenged them, you know, that these kids are Christians. These kids are are brothers and sisters to us. And I said, you know, you need to go over to them and just put your arm around them and just encourage them and say, you know, way to go, you know. I wish I had your boldness and pray for them, you know, at home, pray for them and, and just encourage them then who they are in their faith. Because it's true that if they don't make the right decision, if they continue to push the truth away, there are consequences for that. And they're not good consequences. Karen and I were at a huge conference down in Las Vegas about 25, 30 years ago. And it was called the World of Concrete. And it was big. It took four days. We'd walked for four days in this conference and never saw it all. And that's massive. It's big. And it's anything and everything to do with concrete. Because that's what I was doing at the time. And at Vegas, you got to see the sights a little bit. You know, the good sights. And we're walking on the sidewalks. The sidewalks are packed. And the traffic was going both ways. And I mean, they were crowded. And as we're walking along, all of a sudden, there's this young guy standing on the box right in the center of the sidewalk. And he's hollering out. He's saying, repent or perish. Turn from your wicked ways, he's saying. And I'm thinking, well, that's, that's pretty strong. But praise God for the soapbox preachers. You know, who knows? Who knows who needed to hear that message? Like, I'm sure everybody needed to hear that message. But it's boldness. And praise God for that soapbox preaches that's got the guts to stand up in a place like that and proclaim the gospel. Because that takes guts. But that was their conviction of what God was requiring of them. 
And God bless the kids that stand in our schools and share the message of hope. Because these kids need that message of hope. Boy, they need the message of hope. Talking to my young granddaughter, 12 years old, and I was really surprised at how, you know, she just hadn't, didn't have a lot of hope for the world and where the world was going. And I had to really encourage her, say, oh, Phoenix. And God bless our missionaries who are out on the field. Miramar, what's going on there right now? We've got missionaries that we support there. We need to be in each other's corners. We are one body, and there's many working parts in this body of all kinds, and we need to be in each other's corners. We have the situation with Pastor James Coates, who's in the Reman Center in Edmonton. There's many judgments being made of Pastor Coates. And they're good and they're, well, they're for him and they're against him. They think what he's doing is great and what they think what he's doing maybe he shouldn't do. And regardless of what we think the situation is, he's a brother in Christ and we need to pray for him. We need to pray for his family and we need to pray for the congregation that he pastors. We're all unique and there's only one of each one of us in all of creation. Since the beginning of time, there's only one you. Don't waste it. You're precious. You're valuable. And God's got a plan for you. Paul was God's chosen instrument to take his message to the Gentiles, to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and to show, uh, and God showed him in the beginning how much he was going to have to suffer in order to do this. And he took up the challenge, and away he went. Hebrews 11 talks of those who did great exploits and those who suffered. God chose them all for the time in which they were living. Andrew Brunson, in the darkness of his uh, darkest hour, was able to cry out in his cell, I love you, Jesus. Even though you are silent, Lord, I love you. And even if my enemies harm me, I love you, Jesus. He discovered that this is where his victory was. And he discovered that in his brokenness. Our kids are preaching the gospel in the schools in a variety of ways. We're all different, and yet we're all created in the image of God. I want to have a stand. The title of my message, If I Do Not Love, My Faith is Bankrupt. It's a quite a statement, but it's the truth. Like God says, in 1 John, he says that God is love. If you don't love, you don't know God because he is love. You know, God doesn't just love love. He is love. And so now I want to show you a more excellent way. And I'm going to read these three verses. And then I'm going to close in prayer and you're dismissed to go. If I speak of tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that's a lot. If I can do all of that stuff and I have not love, I'm nothing. If I have the faith to move mountains, but yet I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I even surrender my, bodies to the, my body to the flames, and I don't have love, 
God says, I've gained nothing. We can do some pretty drastic things in life and make some huge sacrifices. But if we don't love people, it's no good. God is love. You know, and we need to guard our hearts. Because I think the biggest, one of the biggest things that cause us more stumbling than anything else in, in everything in our Christian walk is unforgiveness. People have hurt us. There's not a person in here that hasn't been hurt. And I want to challenge you to search your heart. Allow God's Holy Spirit to search your heart. And if there is one person, deal with that. That doesn't mean they have to be your best friend. It doesn't mean you have to even maybe go to them. But to let that forgiveness rule in your heart so that you can be one with Jesus. Because that is between you and the Lord. It's a huge deal. And it's not because... It's because God knows that when you're so tied up with bitterness, that's just straight from the pit. It's a bondage, and it's very unhealthy. And, we, you know, we can justify it in our minds. And, man, I'll tell you, some people, you, you know, in the natural, you have every right to never, ever forgive somebody for some of the stuff that's gone on in this world. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And it's for our sake and for God's sake in our lives that we let go of this kind of stuff because it's only hurting us. And so I really want to encourage, you know, if you have got something that you need to deal with like that, our office doors are always open to you people. We love you as the church. And uh, we, if we can do anything to help you in these ways, we're more than willing to do that. And Lord, we thank you for your word, Father God, that... That you, Lord, are love. Like, wow. Father God, anything that we've ever done, Lord God, you're willing to just wipe it clean as if it's never happened. Father, I pray that you would just open the eyes of our understanding and help us to hear what it is that you're saying to us. That you want to draw us, Lord. You've spoken many ways here. Many different areas of our lives, Father God, that for each individual you have a word. Praise you for that. We commit ourselves to you, Lord, and pray your will be done in our lives. Help us to be a light, Lord God, in our community. Help us to be there for one another. Help us to have, Lord God, a burden to pray for each other because we all need it. We need each other's support. And so as we go forth, Lord God, to be your light, I pray that as we stretch forth thy hand to heal, Lord, you'd perform signs and wonders, confirming what we're saying as we're proclaiming the love of you, Lord, in the city of Redder and everywhere else it goes, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.